to Beyond the Lines. I'm your host, Jason Davis. You can follow the show on Facebook at Beyond the Lines Podcast, Instagram, Beyond the Lines Podcast, and Twitter at underscore Beyond the Lines. Today, we'll be talking about a rough issue, a tough issue for most people, um, and certainly a tough issue for kids. We'll be talking about drug abuse among teens. We have a special guest on the show today that will share her story, and also she'll let us know what she does to kind of help out teens and others who deal with, say, pain issues, drug issues, and so on. Her name is Jen. She's a life pain specialist. She has 20 years of experience as a personal trainer, a nutritionist coach, and a group fitness. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you. If you're not aware, Beyond the Lines, we talk about a lot of life issues, life and sports issues that kids deal with, things such as women uh, in male-dominated sports. We'll have a episode coming up soon dealing with race. We have an episode with 13-year-olds talking about being a number one player in the sport or they're a bust. So this is an issue that I think sort of gets left in the dark uh, when we're talking about drug abuse among teens. And I think it's very important that we really discuss this issue. And, and I think if we can discuss it, bring it from the dark, bring it to the light, then we can deal with this issue early on so it doesn't become a problem for kids later on in life. Usually adults who have some sort of addiction or drug problem usually starts earlier than the adult age. So I think if we can nip it in the bud now, talk about it now and bring it to light, we can really solve a lot of these issues. So I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about what the National Institute of Drug Abuse mentioned and uh, kind of get your take on that. And then you can kind of share, share your story and tell us what you do. So from 2017 to 2019, the National Institute of Drug Abuse said the percentages of teenagers who said they vaped nicotine in the past 12 months roughly doubled from eighth graders from 7.5% to 16.5%. For 10th graders, it went from 15.8% to 30.7%. And for 12th graders, it went from 188 to 35.3%. Now in 2020, all those rates pretty much stayed steady. So we know that kids who start off with things such as smoking, those tend to lead to harsher drugs, gateway drugs. And so if we can kind of get to the teens early about not vaping and not smoking, and we know vaping is a huge issue right now. If we can get those t kids to understand that vaping, first of all, is unhealthy and it's not safe, but they can lead to something worse later on. I think we can curb a lot of this pandemic that we have with the kids and drug issues. So what are your take on, on those figures? I, I wasn't aware of those figures about the vaping. Most of my experience in the prevention part of mm. the work that I do is, of course, mostly with adults, but we do see some children. Well, not, I don't want to say children, but 16, 17, 18-year-olds. We are in the prevention line of work, and most of ours has to do with opioid use, which is Percocet, morphine, Vicodin, fentanyl. You know, because we do have a big opioid epidemic in our country that we're facing right now. And you mentioned you work with kids in sports. And obviously, there are some injuries in sports. There's injuries all the time. And most of those injuries, whether they involve surgeries or doctor visits, they're going to involve some sort of 
pain medication or some, something along those lines. So that's more my industry, what I can speak on. I wasn't aware of all the vaping, but yes, I do agree with you. It does tend to, depending on, and I also have to say this as I've learned and as I've worked with patients, it also has a lot to do with the teens, what they're going through in their home life. Because if they've got some trauma going on at home, if they've got some personal issues, you know, what, whatever, divorce, you name it, there's so many variables that can be going on in their home life that can cause them to turn to other things to bring some sort of feeling that some of these drugs have the reputation of making them feel better, you know, kind of forget about their, their problems going on at home. No. And and that's, and you bring up a very good point because when we talk about say high school kids and they're in that age where they're really still trying to find themselves, you know, we're talking about the ninth or 12th graders, they go through, uh, you mentioned difficult things. So for Mm -hmm. instance, you know, someone's going through a breakup and you know how we, we've all been in that situation where we're in high school and we break up with someone, we feel like the that is going, end of the that's world. the end of the world. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. We feel like that's the end of the world. And so they find the quickest thing or the easiest thing perhaps to kind of get them over that hump because they, they don't really know mm-hmm. how to deal with that. And so that's very interesting because if we can get kids to find coping mechanisms to help them deal with certain issues and not necessarily turn to alcohol or drugs, then again, we kind of save some lives. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important that we really reach out and try and give these kids a way to, an outlet. And again, that's what Beyond the Lines is to kind of give these kids a platform to talk about a lot of the life issues that they deal with. Mm-hmm. So where you work, you guys deal with a lot of the prevention issues, correct? Yes, we're, we are in, definitely in the prevention wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. We do not deal with treatment at all. So we want to prevent a person by educating them and bringing awareness to opioids. Because obviously when you go to the hospital, you have a procedure done, you know you're going to be given pain medicine, of course. And there is a need for it. Opioids are great for that intended use. But the other aspect that people don't really think about And I guess here's where maybe I can share my story. I don't don't know because I don't have any addiction history. I don't have any family history of addiction. But at the time I was prescribed opioids, I had had back surgery. I was dealing with the death of my mother. I had just gone through a bad breakup. And, you know, I'm an adult. I should be able to handle a bad breakup, right? So passing away my mother, bad breakup, and the worst physical pain of my entire life. Okay. Even though I didn't have any addiction or misuse, we call it misuse or dependence history, all of those things that I was going through in life at the time kind of sent me into a depressed state. And when I was prescribed that opioid for the pain, it made me feel really happy. And for a person that is constantly going through a traumatic home life or bad things constantly going on at home, and especially a teen, they don't know how to like mentally take themselves out of it. And If they're taking a pill that makes them happy and kind of makes them forget about the physical and the emotional pain, wow, that's something nobody talks about. Correct. So yes, just bringing awareness and education to opioid medication. I provide non-pharmaceutical methods to manage pain, like breathing techniques and muscle relaxation techniques. We talk about music therapy a lot. And that's one thing that maybe would be good for the teens is the music therapy because music can be very calming. It can take your mind off things. You know, that's just one of the things, but um, there's a, there's definitely a lot that people don't talk about. And it's not just the kids, the teens, it's also the parents that need to know this. The parents have to be a part of it. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I completely agree with that 100%. And I, I believe that much like other issues that kids deal with, I think us as parents and adults, if we're more open and willing to talk about certain issues, I believe the kids would be more, more willing to openly talk about a lot of those issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Teens that have these drug issues that, that go on, a lot of times parents want to sweep them under the rug or they'll go away or it's not an issue or it's not a problem until it becomes a problem. And then at that point, it's too late. It's already too late. So again, as, as I've already mentioned several times, I think if we can reach out to these kids early on and prevent a lot of this, then we'll, we'll see a lot better outcomes. Mm -hmm. So where you work, you guys prepare kids for surgery, correct? Yes, I am not in that field. They're, they do have a team of child life specialists mm. that do go and visit the children. They speak to the kids and their parents and prepare them for surgical procedures so that they're not as scary. Okay. Now, does that component also deal with the opioid issue where these kids are going to have surgery, so they're going to need pain medicine? So are you aware of how they may deal with that when it comes to post-surgical care? No. The CEO of the nonprofit that I work for, she's definitely more on the child life side. She was actually a child life specialist for years, for five, six years at the same hospital. Okay. All right. So I'm going to mention a couple of points here because you'd mentioned opioids and, and heroin and oxycotton and, and those uh, opioid drugs. So I'm going to ramble off a couple of points here that the National Institute of Drug Abuse mentioned and just kind of get your, your thoughts and, and feelings on, on some of this stuff here. So a little over 2% of non-athletes in the survey that they took had used heroin at some point compared to just 1% of those engaging in sports or exercise once or more. About 11% of the non-athletes said they had misused opioids at some point compared with about 8% of teens who participated in sports or exercise once a week and just under 7% of those who participated almost daily. My take on that, and, and I'll get your take, those numbers to me suggest that kids who participate in sports or some sort of daily or regular exercise activity are less likely to get involved in opioid use and or abuse. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. It's I'll, I'll, <laughs> I have another example for that. I don't have, none of my children were ever involved in opioid use, but they were definitely involved with marijuana use. But I was a single mom raising three kids on my own. They had to spend a lot of time at home by themselves. And when you're raising three kids, it's kind of hard to put all of them in sports because you can't get them here and there. Mm -hmm. We lived in a small town. They weren't involved in sports and they got, they got into a lot of trouble. And the, their friends that were involved in sports didn't. All right. Yeah, I understand that. There's some families that, that listen to this show that also are in that same situation that you just mentioned. So what would be your advice to them and how to handle a situation like that to those single moms or even a single dads and how to handle a situation where they have two or three kids that are of teenage in that teenage range and they're in different sports, but yet they're trying to keep this sort of bubble around them to keep them from getting involved in those types of things. What would be your advice to them? I would say just reach out for help, as much help as possible, whether it's neighbors, you know, if it's in their budget, maybe they can offer to pay someone to help take their kids to practice or pick them up from practice or talk to the coaches to see if what the options are there. You know, I, I never enlisted. I never asked my neighbors for help when I maybe wish I maybe wish I would have. Now, how, how were you able to prevent your kids from, again, we mentioned earlier about the gateway drugs. How were you able to prevent them from making things worse? Luckily, I, I don't know that I specifically did one thing to keep it from getting worse. They were very open with me about smoking marijuana. Awesome. Um, did I 
approve of it. No, of course I didn't. But <laughs> it's sometimes you're at a point you're like, even though you're not accepting of it, sometimes you have to listen to your kids and you have to accept who they are, what they're doing, and they have to feel comfortable talking to you because I didn't have that relationship with my parents. I was kicked out of the house at 15, you know, 15, 16 years old because I thought I could trust, you know, talk to my parents about something. And when mm -hmm. I did, it went a totally different way than I expected. So, I mean, even though you're, you don't like it, you don't accept it. The more you try to fight it sometimes, the more they rebel. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think the flip side to that is at least your kids came and talked to you about it. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned you didn't agree with it, but at least now you had that information and now you can deal with it. At least for me, I think personally, because I have two teenage boys. And so I think for me, it would be tougher not knowing than knowing, because if I know now I can deal with the issue, now I can kind of help out. Now I, I know what I need to do and, and how to gear them in the right direction. Right. So I think, again, you know, it, it may have been tough hearing that, but at least you knew. And I think if we extrapolate that out and look at the bigger picture, if us as adults in general, listen to kids mm -hmm. and give them a feeling that they can come and talk to us, you know, whether we're parents or coaches, teachers, whoever, if we give them that feeling that they can come and talk to us and not be judged, I think we'll see that kids will be more willing to come and talk to us. And it's about having that communication and being open and being willing to listen to them. Because I think so often in so many things in society today, we tell teens, okay, well, you don't know anything, or you're too young, you don't understand, or you haven't experienced this. If we actually stop and listen, teens do have some really good ideas. They really, they really do. do know what they're talking about when it comes to a lot of different issues. But mm -hmm. I think in my opinion, one, it's as adults, we think that we know everything when we really don't and kids haven't experienced anything. So they don't know anything. So we just brush them aside mm -hmm. or two, which I think is the more of the issue as adults or parents, we don't want to deal with those issues. So we brush it aside. So right. again, and, and I keep hammering this home. If we really listen to the kids, we'll find that they really do have some good ideas and some good thoughts and kind of allow them to grow. Because again, this, this show and this, this podcast is about giving kids a platform. And if we expect them to be our leaders, then we need to give them that platform to be able to lead and to grow. And if we keep shutting them down when they have things to say, and particularly when it deals with their own lives and things that they're dealing with, when we're talking about drug abuse and addiction, how are we allowing them to grow? In my opinion, all we're doing is just stifling their growth. I agree with everything you just said. And if you as a parent aren't willing to at least listen to your kid, you know, social media, somebody on social media is going to listen to them. And who knows how that's going to turn out? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, every, just what every episode I've done so far, the issue of social media has come up. In fact, every episode, social media has come up because I've had- It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It's our future. It's absolutely, it's absolutely our future. And I think back when I was born in the 70s, so I'm a 70s baby. Me too. So, so, <laughs> okay, so maybe you understand this. So back then, you know, you had, you know, there was gangs or whatever that your little clicks or whatever that we would go to that we felt we were comfortable with. Now kids just pull out their cell phone and they're on Instagram or they're on Snapchat or, or whatever it is because that's where they feel most comfortable. That's where they feel that Absolutely. they can go to and get whatever information they need, get whatever attention they need. And I think we as parents, adults, coaches, we need to pull the kids away from feeling that they need to go to social media to get their answers and to come to us. Right. But it's up, it's up to us. And I think as, as adults, we put it on the kids. Well, you have to come talk to me. You have to come talk to me. Well, we've got to give them that feeling that they can. They can. Because if we don't, then they won't. 
And that, to right. me, that's the bottom line. One last question for you, and it has two parts to it. So as, as I mentioned, you know, I'm a 70s baby. And, and so I, I, I came through the 80s with the whole say no to drugs thing, say no to drugs. And I think we often, or maybe too often, we tell kids to say no to this, say no to that. And I think on the flip side, that we have to give kids something to say yes to. If we keep telling them say no, say no, say no, well, what are we telling them to say yes to? Mm -hmm. So my question is, what do you think or what is your advice that we can give kids to say yes to, to help them feel like they're a part of something positive? Oh, wow. That's a good question. That's a tough question, too, because kids today are so different than us 70s and 80s babies. <laughs> oh, man. Going back to what we've been talking about all along, I think if kids were more open and willing to talk to us as parents, to talk to their parents, I think the script would be flipped. I mean, things would be so much different because once you open that communication gateway, who knows? Who knows what they will be willing to talk to you about? And so many different things can come up in conversation that would have never, ever, ever, ever came up if you would just sit down and listen to them, Absolutely. not be so judgmental, not be quick, shut them down, shut their thoughts down. I don't really have an answer for what we can say yes to, but definitely as a parent, say yes to being more open to, to talk to your kids mm -hmm. and not just talk to them, but listen like you've been saying this whole time, just listen to them because sometimes they may not tell you, but if, if you're really listening, they're, they're, they're right. saying something. Oh yeah. And I, and I believe that they, they want to be able to talk to us. They just don't feel comfortable enough. And, and to me, yeah. I think that's the, that's the bottom line. Part two of that question is you touched on it a few minutes ago. What advice would you give parents who may have a son or daughter that's going through this issue where they're, they're vaping or they may even be smoking marijuana and they're really concerned. And now that they're listening to this show, they're even more concerned because now they may be thinking their kid may be going on to heroin or some other opioid. What would be your advice to those parents that may be going through that? Definitely. Number one, look at who they're hanging around for sure. You got to know who your kids are hanging out with. And if you're ever in a situation like me where you're forced to just have to leave your kids without supervision, I, like I said, I lived in a small town. I gave the, it was a town called Monticello. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Monticello, Georgia. No, never heard of it. The police had a written note from me saying that they could enter my backyard at any time. <laughs> <laughs> because oh my I, I, man, I lived in a neighborhood where I didn't approve of anybody that my kids hung around. And I gave the police permission. If you see a, a yard full of kids, if you don't see my white car in the driveway, get them out. You know, I, I was friends with the police. I had them on speed dial. I had, you know, the neighbors on speed dial watching. If you see any cars in my driveway, pick up the phone and call me because that's what I had to do because I had to work. So definitely know who your kids are hanging out with for sure. I completely agree with that. Well, Jen, I'm so glad you were able to come on the show today and share your story. I can't tell you how much I really appreciate it. I think this is really going to benefit a lot of parents, and not only a lot of parents, but coaches as well, because coaches have to deal with this issue as well. But more importantly, I think it's going to really help out a lot of the teens that, that listen to this episode. So I, once again, I really thank you for being on the show, and I hope at some point in the future we can have you on again. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd like to thank Jen for joining the show and sharing her story. 
So what are the takeaways from today's episode? Number one, parents, know the signs and symptoms of drug use by your son or daughter. Know who their friends are. Number two, parents, provide an atmosphere where your son or daughter feels comfortable talking to you about their problems. And number three, kids, talk to your parents, coaches, teachers, or even a crisis counselor about your problems. Drugs and alcohol won't solve your problem. Thank you for tuning in and listening to episode number five. If you found this episode helpful, I ask that you share it with three of your friends. If you enjoy this podcast, I ask that you subscribe. Please tune in next week to episode number six as I talk to two teenage athletes about role models. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care.